see it, and I'll grab a new one next week. I don't think – let me see if some of them haven't gotten them. Yeah, you haven't. You guys weren't here last week, were you? You don't – I mean, don't be scared. Don't be scared of all the information. It's for your reading enjoyment. It's, did you read it? It's a lot. I understand. I understand. Do what? Do what? Oh, well, good. That'd be good. Good morning, everyone. We're going to get started. Glad you're here on this Memorial Day weekend. Yeah, this is, if you didn't, this is the same one from last week. Okay. We're still working on that, but I will give you a new one next week. That's my plan anyway. So we're going to get started. I'm glad you're here. We made a quick trip to Mexico, and um, we did a marriage conference, and so we just got back last night. Yes? Okay, excellent question by Dolores. And let's just open in prayer real quick, okay? Lord, I pray, Father, that you would give us a spirit of revelation and knowledge. I ask you, Lord God, that you would open our ears to hear, our hearts to receive, Lord God. I pray that you would anoint me to speak your word and your word only, Lord. I pray, Father, that you would meet every need in this house, Lord God. Give us peace and joy, Lord, and a spirit of unity, Lord God. We thank you for all your many, many blessings. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Dolores. You want to, won't you just mute oh, no. this so it's really recorded? Here, just go ahead. You can do it. Just go ahead. Okay, so I've been reading in Revelations and listening to it and going to Thessalonians and back to Matthew. And it talks about the, um, in Thessalonians, I think it was Thessalonians, where it says there's a, a thief in the night, that Jesus will come like a thief in the night to rapture the church. And then if you le read later on, it talks about the sun turning to bl blood and the rest becoming darkness. And then, then it's like another coming. So is it like it's the first one, the rapture of the church, and the second one's the rapture of those that were saved during tribulation? That is a great question. Um, when you look at that, you've, you've hit some excellent, excellent things. And you just said, when you said he comes like a thief in the... Okay, and then... At the coming of the Son of God, what is the world? What's the condition of the world? The sun turns to it, darkness. So, what did he? What does he come as? A thief in the? And we talked about last week. In order to have lightning, for lightning to be effective, what do you have to have? Uh, you just do. I mean, if there's a giant bolt of lightning that goes across the sky right now, in the daylight, it, it would it's it's diminished because of the sun. We'll get to all of those things, but without having to turn there, because I just don't have the scriptures ready, I will give you the short answer and I will unpack it later when we get to those places of the cosmic signs is what it's called. Um, a thief in the night reference is a, is a reference to the law, that Jesus will come like a thief in the night. In the law, in Leviticus, it gives detailed instructions about what to do if you as a homeowner are at home and a thief comes in the night. It, you're, you know what? You're exactly right. The law specifies, in the Levitical law, the Torah specifies, if a person comes to you at night and breaks into your house, it is, it is to be assumed it is for one purpose, to destroy you. 
And so because that's the purpose of the thief in the night to come is to destroy you, then you have the right to respond. Now, you're like, well, how does that have to do with Jesus coming like a thief in the night? See, it's a like. He's coming like a thief in the night. Jesus is not a thief in the night, but he's coming and what for what purpose? To destroy. He's coming to destroy. He's coming like a thief in the night. See, you've always thought, it's because he's going to be sneaky. It's sneaky. It's sneaky. It's not sneaky. See, the law tells you what the... If you're a Hebrew, you understand this. Like if I say, like a thief in the night, the Hebrew goes, oh, coming for destruction. See, when I say to you as a Westerner, he's coming like a thief in the night, you say, oh, sneaky. Right, you think a smith, right. So, but see, you understand the concept. So, but so that, that makes more sense of the scripture where it says, but for you, it won't be like a thief. You know, he says he's coming like a thief in the night and then, you know, blah, 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 blah. And the ones who are not watching are not going to be prepared. They're not going to be prepared because they're going to be swept up in destruction. They're not going to be, they have no defense against the destruction that's coming on the planet. But then he goes on to say, but you, the believers... You're not going to be overtaken like a thief in the night because you have what? Protects. You have Jesus. You're, you know what I mean? So that's what he's saying. So watch and be prepared. There you go. So see, if you don't have that, see, like I've said so many, many times, the Bible is not written to you. It's written for you. So you have to put on the ears of those it was written to, to understand the message for you. If you don't do that, you'll invent a message that's just not in the scripture. You'll put on Western ears and listen to an Eastern book through Western ears, and you'll create a whole other Western concept that just does not exist in the Bible. And it happens every single day. So much so that we've, we've created doctrines that exclude the Jews entirely. The Jews don't matter anymore. It's just the church. That's not what the book teaches. It's just not there. And so that's my goal in this is not to upset apple carts. It's not to um, bring is not to come to you in a sense of pride or arrogance or saying, man, I know every I know every topic and I know every detail. It's not that at all. I am learning. But what I have done is I have, at this place in my life, have come to the realization that I don't know everything. Believe it or not. It was such a shock to me, I'm telling you. But with that said, I'm kidding and not kidding. You know what I mean? Because how many of you don't know what you don't know? You don't, you know, you, 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 you assume there's some things you don't know, but we all approach topics like on the basis of what we know. We have a hard time approaching a topic on the basis of what we don't know. It's hard. And so this is what I have been studying this since about November. And I approached it in the beginning on the basis of what I knew. And I knew I was doing that. And I could feel the Holy Spirit saying, what are we doing, Andrea? What are we doing? 
Are, we, are you teaching me? You see what I'm saying? I'm just going through my systems. And I, it took me, it took me a solid probably three to four months to actually stop. Every time I rebooted, it was like a computer. You reboot the computer every day and you get going and all of your presets are back. You see what I mean? You can't go in. You have to change those. Pre Every time I would look back at it, I would notice, man, I'm right, back, I'm, just, I'm right back at my presets. My default settings are, and I had to get into the settings and turn off my default. And when I was able to turn off my default settings, and I didn't come at the word of God with what I already knew, I'm telling you, I started learning because the scripture in Jeremiah came to life. Ask of me, and I will show you great and mighty things that you know not. If you already know it, you're not going to ask, and he's not gonna, there's not going to be any room for revelation. you got to get you an empty container, or you're never going to be able to put anything in it. And so that's what I come to you as. I come to you as a learner, and I come to you not telling you what is going to happen. I am coming to you as a studier and a person who is trying to discover, not a person who says, I've got it all figured out, lock, stock, and barrel, but that I do want to have a spirit that is teachable, and I want to present to you what the Bible says. I'm not trying to convince you of anything. Like I've told you before, I'm not selling any books. I'm not going to be telling you this and then holding up a book for you to go find on Amazon. I'm not asking you for likes or clicks. I'm not asking you to subscribe to my channel. Do you see what I'm saying? I'm nothing in it for me. I'm doing this. And, and honestly, some of the way I'm going about teaching this, I'm, I'm teaching from a tradition, and some of the things I'm teaching is contrary to my tradition. So if I, you know, if, if my overseers, the ones over me, decide they want to look at what I'm saying, they can say, hey, Andrew, what are you doing? And you know how submissive I am. I've already got my lines. I'm still forming my opinions. <laughs> Found out. I've learned that's what you say. Anyway, let's go. Let's go to Revelation. So this is, this is where we're at. And um, like I said, I can show you a stack of books that I've been reading. If anybody's interested in my reading list, I'd be happy to provide it for you. But um, And the studies, and it's, it's just been a lot, but... It's not because I'm smart. It's because God, I was so dumb and God started actually teaching me. And that's kind of where I'm at. Okay, so I'm just going to leave that there. As we begin in Revelation, we, we talked about the churches last week, and this is not a letter. Or this is not a, uh, well, it's not a letter on what to do in case you miss the rapture. It's not. Revelation has been taught that way for years. This is a what to do in case you miss the rapture book. It's not. It's not it doesn't say that anywhere. It is not, if it's presented that way, it gets impregnated with false understanding. But what revelation is, and I'm not saying that it won't help you in any condition that you may find yourself in, but that's not a purpose. That's not the purpose of the letter. It is a letter written to seven churches 
Dear Ephesus, dear Smyrna, dear Thyatira, dear Sardis, dear Philadelphia, dear Laodicea. It's written to them, and it's to be read out loud in those seven churches. It's written to them, but it's written for. See how that works? It's a letter written. Those are Jesus' epistles. Do you ever think about that? We talk about Paul's epistles, his letters to the churches. This is Je- these are Jesus' epistles to the church. He says, here, John, take note. I need a secretary. And he starts telling him what to write. And he becomes a scribe. But then the scene changes. This is a letter to the churches. And it's, about a, it's a letter about a scroll. And the scroll has in it the end of the age. And that when the scroll is opened, it tells us how this age ends. So it's a letter to the churches about a scroll that ends the age. And it reveals the whole purpose of the opening of the scroll is for one thing and one thing alone. And it's in the title of the book. The Revelation of Jesus. That's what this is all about. See how simple? It gets stupid simple when you actually look at it. It is called the revelation of Jesus. And who gave this revelation for him to give to the world? God gave this revelation. So is it faithful? You betcha. It's a real faithful revelation. And so it's the revelation of Jesus. But Within the revelation of Jesus, the whole consummation of this age is going to come down to to not only the revelation of Jesus, but before we get to his revelation, there's the revelation of someone we need on the stage. And who is that? It's the revelation of the Antichrist. Because the whole end time event centers around Jesus being revealed to do what? The thief in the night. He's going to destroy the beast and his empire. But the beast has to be what? Revealed. Brought out in the open. you got to flush him out. Flush him out. So we talked about This is what this whole thing is about. So with that lens on, we approach the book of Revelation, and I think it brings more clarity. And we look at chapters 4 and 5, and it's the scene in heaven. And John says in 4, it says, And after these things I looked, and behold, a door was standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard speaking with me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after these things. Now, many pre-tribulation rapture believers will say, That's the rapture. They will say that. Why do they say that? It says, Come up, and there's a voice of a trumpet. And so they say, That's where the church is raptured. I would be perfectly willing to believe that, but you can't find it in the text. Can you? If I didn't tell you that belief, would you automatically find that in the text? Probably not. Some of you may. You might put it together. I don't know. But you may not find that in the text just by reading the text. You would have to bring some other, see what, that's, how, that's what I mean by, whoa, I nearly fell. That's what it means by importing in doctrine importing in something else into it. 
you have to have an additive there and mix it up to come up with that concept. If you just read it straight, it's just not there entirely. You have to, you have to squeeze it a little bit. But, and the main problem that I have there with that being a rapture scripture is I never see the church in heaven. I just can't find. I've looked. I tell you, I have looked high and low under every cloud and star and under every verse. You just don't find it in heaven there. You don't find the church mentioned. You see, John, who went up to heaven? Who, who's brought up into an elevated place? John. John is in the voice of a trumpet is the voice of God saying, come up. We've got a revelation that's going on. So John is brought up. And when he gets up, he's in the throne room of God. He's seeing the, he's seeing the beasts, those weird beasts that have the eye. He's seeing all of these things. And I mean, it's, I mean, this is not earthly at all. We're seeing created beings, the same ones Ezekiel saw. And they've got eyes and they're flying with wings and they're saying holy, holy. And they're doing things and there's smoke. And, and I mean, can you just imagine what your, your sensory realm, you're just going, whoa. I mean, it, so much so he's like, he's getting weak and he's falling and it's, you know, it's too much for his physical body. And then the whole thing centers around the drama and it's, he saw in the one sitting on the throne. We don't have any description. All we have is this, around his throne was like light, like rainbow. What it would be, it would be a rainbow, prism of light. A rainbow actually is a circle, right? We just see half of it. The whole circle of the rainbow was around his throne. Now, we don't see his face. We're not even told. In my own opinion, I think John is probably down low at this point and I think he's just probably barely looking up and he's seeing you know just the hand of God is all he can this is my imagination and then he, but he says I saw in his hand you know what I mean a scroll and he took the scroll and he and he handed it and there was and it says in the scroll let's read it and immediately I was in the spirit so how does John what what realm is John is He's in the spirit realm. Is his body there? I don't know. Probably, in my opinion, probably his body's on earth, just hanging out asleep. I don't think, I mean, I don't know. He'd have to change some things, wouldn't he? I mean, he can do anything he wants to do. But I'm just saying he's in the spirit here. Immediately, he said, I was in the spirit. And the one who was seated like was like jasper and commit it talks about around the throne were 24 elders they were dressed in robes and we've got all these things and in the middle of the throne around were the four living creatures and they were a creature like a lion like an ox in the face of a man and the eagle and it's amazing how the four gospels you can find that they each have those they have the the man gospel i think it's luke you have the ox or the I don't even know them all, but you'll, you can find those. Um, then all those creatures, and then nine. And whenever the living creatures went, they, they moved. And he's describing the whole thing. And they're saying, worthy are you, Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. So that's the whole scene. And then chapter 5, it says, I saw in his right hand of the one seated upon the throne a scroll written both the front and the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the seal and break, the, open the scroll and break its seals? He already knew the, question, the answer to the question, didn't he? No one in heaven 
or earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look in it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open or look in it. Now, this is amazing to me. I had to really kind of sit and just like, I mean, the Bible is not just meant to be read. It is meant to, it is, it is a meditation literature. And I was thinking, and I, I thought, how would this look? I mean, all of a sudden, how did he know no one was worthy in earth or heaven or under the earth to open the scroll? How did that inform? It doesn't tell us, but how might that information come to his brain? What do you think? Maybe that's it. I, that could be. Now, I've got my own hypothesis. That's, that's what it was. Yeah, it is. And so I began to think it was as though there was a search going on. You know what I mean? Like this feeling of a search. Because the question was asked, who is worthy? So the question is inviting us into the problem. And he didn't say, don't worry at first. Jesus is worthy. So that would be the counterpart to doubt, that there's no room for doubt, you know, because he just, but he, he, he opened the door for the problem. And so John steps into the problem of answering the question, who is worthy? And I just believe that there was a search and he received this information, like processing at light speed through his mind, a search of all of heaven. Every created being in heaven. And it was a, and in a moment, he had the realization there was none worthy. And it, that feeling of it's impossible because there was none. And he went, because he's fixing to come undone. And then there was a search that went out all through the earth. Every human being looking for someone who was worthy. From generation past, from Adam the first, all the way, every human being, somehow that search went by your house and my house. None were worthy. And there's this hope of somebody's got to be worthy. Somebody's got to be worthy. Somebody's got to be worthy. Nope, not in heaven. You know how you feel like when you feel like that hope is just evacuating? But you still have like one, you, you feel like there might still, and, and another one, it's like another strike, and you're like, <gasps> and then it's like, and now let's search under the earth. And I'm sure he's like, huh. And he searched. And, and he's still going, surely, surely they'll find someone worthy. They won't find someone worthy. Under the, it came up. And at that moment, John felt what the feeling of total hopelessness and bleakness is. That there is no answer to the problem. How would that set on you? And the gravity 
of the problem. See, this was all designed by heaven. They, heaven wanted him to feel this. And it all hit him. And it hit him, and he gave a guttural response. And he said, and I wept. He wept, and not a weeping like a little tear traveled down his cheek. A weeping that was undoing him from the very depths of who he was. And all of a sudden, in a moment, in the very moment when hope felt like it was entirely lost and darkness was closing in, the angel touched him and said, John, don't weep. And what would that have felt like? Like air came back in his lungs. He's supposed to feel that. We're supposed to know what worthy really is. It's not, oh, it's worthy. I mean, he, and it says, look, behold, the Lamb of God. What does it say? I don't want to mess it up. Then the one of the elders told me, stop weeping. Behold, the lamb of the, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. He's worthy. And he turns around to see this root of David, the lion of the tribe of Judah. He swings around. He wants to see this conquering warrior. And when he swings around, he saw a lamb slaughtered. Because Jesus triumphed through his death. And that was the triumphing blow issued to the enemy. We don't, if this is all we had of the book of Revelation, you could go home victorious knowing no matter what tomorrow holds, whether he comes in the pre, post, mid, trib right now, tomorrow, a thousand years from now, we are victorious. Take that, devil. You can just close the book and say, he knows what he's doing. The end. Isn't that good? He's worthy. So when we sing he's worthy, it's not just he's worthy. Oh, he did what no one in heaven could do. He did what no one on earth could do. He did what no one under the earth. His name, see, that's what Paul's talking about in Philippians. He's been given a name that is above every name. He's conquered the things in heaven, the things on earth, and he didn't stop there, and the things under the earth. There is no domain where the slaughtered lamb, the slain lamb, is not victorious. You think he can't deliver you from your bondage? You think he can't deliver you in hope? I'm telling you, that is just bull. Have you, do you have any idea the level of triumph this God-man has brought to humanity. Oh. So now I see how Revelation just entered up into a book of victory. It's not fearful. Look who's coming for you. He's coming like a thief in the night. Come, destroy the works of darkness. Destroy. See, now all of a sudden how you can say, even so, Lord... Come quickly. I mean, see, you have to change your reference to this whole book. 
man, it's lovely. This is a lovely book. So the scene changes in Jaw. Now, the scroll, what is it about the scroll? It's written on the front and the back. See, that's important. And so I made my little rough, you know, scroll, my DIY project. And so I put writing on the outside of it. Now, what this really would have been is there would have been um, on each thing here, there would have been writing. And what this is, and we'll find this if we go to Jeremiah 32. And it is a property deed. A property deed. How many have ever worked? I know Shelby has. I know that. She's worked in, um, what's it called? Yeah, but what's that called? Title company. She worked in a title company. And if you work at, even in law, you know, you have to, wills and probate and things like that. Maybe some more of you have. A title. A you can't buy a house unless there is a title search done, right? Because if you wind up buying a house and Jim Bob sells you his house, and you're like, man, I got such a sweet deal on this house. I pay $1,500 for five acres and a three-bedroom, 1,500-square-foot house. And the, Yeah, and it's like, where, where, did, where's it, can I see the title? Yeah, he gave me a title to it right here. But the problem was is he printed the title up on, his, on, his, um, on his, his computer at the house. I mean, and, and so they're like, well, look, we're going to have to do a title search on that. Because when the owner shows up, like, I own the title. You're like, no, I have a title right here. This title is mine. He's like, no, this title is, is nothing. This title is no good. And so they go and they do a title search, and they, they actually have the legitimate title, and they pull it up, and on there it's like, and they make sure there's no liens against it so there's a clear title. And see, so this is how property is transacted in the world as we know it. Because anybody could say anything and sell anybody anything, and it could be a lie. And then you'd be holding, Right. And so when they're searching for the one who's worthy, this is what for the person who has legal ownership. It's not just worth on the fact that he, there's a legal ownership of the whole shebang. And so here we have this picture in Jeremiah 32, 6 and 16. The, the Babylonians are coming in and they're completely going to take over Jerusalem. Jeremiah's prophesied. He's told them to repent. He's told them they're under judgment. They don't believe him. I mean, they don't believe him at all. You know, they've got their liberal agenda. And they got their... They, yes, about Joe Biden chapter here. No, it's 32. I, I mean, no, it's not. <laughs> Just kidding. Be good, Andrea. Mm-hmm. I mean, so that Jeremiah's been prophesying that, you know, this if you don't turn, this is not going to go well. God's not going to put up with this mess forever. Right. And so here's, and, and it's happening, it's happening, and Babylon is actually at the door, and there's no more. And now the people, Babylon's at the door, and the people are like, oh, you know what I think we should do? We should repent. Oh, God, we're sorry. We're sorry. We should, and the prophets are going, you got to fight. you got to fight. And Jeremiah's going, you guys are dumber than a box of rocks. That's what he's saying. Not really in those lines. That, that's how I would say it. But he is kind of saying it. And so what is he saying? They're like, you, we're going to repent now? You, you've already squandered your day of repentance. So then they're like, then they're all of a sudden, they're like, we're the covenant people of God. We, 
We've got all the blessings of Jehovah. God's our provider, except for the fact that they've been burdening their children to, they've been sacrificing their children with a homosexual agenda. I mean, with a, with a, in the, anyway, they've been doing all kinds of stuff. And now they want to come back and say, we're the greatest nation on earth. We have in God, we trust on our money. And so Jeremiah is like, and so they're like, we're going to fight. God will back us. You watch us. Every time we fight, God backs us. Except for that one time that he didn't. You don't know what it means for God to take his hand off. And that's what happened here. That's what happened right here. Babylon came to their door, and they thought that they could help take their complacency and their compromise, and they could steal, and God would just look the other way because they were so special. And God said, you have gone too far, you harlot Jerusalem. Yeah, he did. He did. And so he said, I'm not fighting for you. And Jeremiah comes back with a prophecy like this. You might as well march your little rear ends to Babylon and build your houses and plant vineyards and make nice with the Babylons, with the Babylonians, because you're not coming out for 70 years. And if you fight, you're going to die. If you resist them, you will die. You know what they did? They fought. You know what they did? They died. But some were taken captive, and some were left in the land. Now, Jeremiah comes with this situation. This is the con. This is the. I had to tell y'all all that, or it won't make a bit of sense. So the, his world is in a dire situation. His world. So Jeremiah said, The word of Adonai came to me saying, Han- Hanamiel, son of Shalom, your uncle, will soon come to you saying, Buy for yourself my field in Anathoth, for the right of redemption is yours to buy it. So in other words, Jeremiah is the nearest kinsman for this property. Because in God's economy, in Jerusalem and Israel, they don't lose their land. I can't sell my land to Tommy if it's my inheritance. I can lease it to him for him to raise crops on and for him to draw profit from. But in the year, the seventh year, what's that land going to do, Tommy? It's going to come right back here. And so, but in the midst until that property comes back and... You come along and you're my nearest kinsman and I'm still in poverty because I didn't, I've just, I've just squandered my life and how I've run my life, really. And so he's now working my land for his own profit and you come along and you say, you're my nearest kinsman, you can come in and you can pay him the purchase price, the lease price of the land, and you can bring back in the land under our family name before the seven years is up. See, the problem in Israel is be the problem it would be if you, if this happened with you. And somebody had land. Well, if it's the sixth year, and I ask you, 
Tommy, would you lease my land? It's the sixth year. What are you automatically going to think? Well, I'm a, if I say, Mike, it's the sixth year. I'm in the sixth year and I've fallen into poverty. Would you lease my land? But then what's going to happen the next year? And what are you going to do? Or you might say that, but see, you might not send it right back. Right? You see what I'm saying? You may say, and I may say, I want to purchase it back. It, it, no, I don't. It, it's going to come right back to me. So, so many times they could be, they could be in the position where they were like, they were strategic. Because you would be too. And we are strategic, but we're so righteous when we're doing it, just like they were. Because y'all are smarter than you look. I'm just kidding. You're not near as smart as you look. No, I'm just kidding on that too. Which am I kidding on? Who knows? I'm just being serious right now. Okay. So we're looking at this, and this is what's going on. But what's the real problem here in this scenario? He's just asked, we're, what's happening? They're being invaded by a foreign invader, and everything is being burned. And he, and he is saying, and he's getting the deal of a lifetime. Hey, hey, would you buy, I want you to buy, would you come and um, buy the land? Would you redeem the land? And Jeremiah's like, this place is a hellhole. I mean, it's like somebody asking you to buy land. I'm just trying to think of the worst place on earth. A swamp. Yeah, a swamp in Louisiana. It's not, you know what I mean? This doesn't seem like the right time to buy. That's why it's in here. It, we're supposed to notice this is a stupid time to buy land when a city is under siege. Right? It's like burning down the house. The house is on fire. And me going, hey, Ray, I'd like to sell you my house. <laughs> While it's burning, I'm like, no, don't look at it. Just pay the price. It's three bedrooms. It's nice. <laughs> That's what's going on here. And so, but Jeremiah knows this, but the Lord's in it. He's telling him to do this because there's a message in it. And so he said, buy the, and he says, please buy my field, which is in, 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 in the land of Benjamin, for the right of inheritance is yours and the redemption is yours. Buy it for yourself. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord, so I bought the field. He did all he was told, and I signed and sealed the deed and called witnesses. He signed and sealed the deed, called witnesses, and weighed the money on the scales. Then I took the purchase deed, both the sealed copy containing the terms and conditions and the open copy and gave the purchase deed to Baruch, son of Nea, son of whoever, whatever, in the presence of my son, of my uncle's son, and in the presence of witnesses, and subscribed the purchase deed before all the Jews that sat in the court of the guard. It was done all legally. Then I charged them before them, saying, Thus says Adonai, the God of Israel, take these deeds, this purchase deed, both sealed copy and the open copy, and put them in a jar of clay. You see... It's in these jars. Of, what's the first miracle that Jesus did? What do you say? Take the earthen jars. See, there's so much here. There's so much here. What I really wanted to point out was, this, was the purchase deed, but there's so much here. See, but he's not only going to take the purchase deed and he's going to have it in heaven in a sealed copy, the sealed copy. He takes the purchase deed and he puts it in jars of clay. 
And the purchase deed, he's purchased us. And you're like, what does this mean, Andrea? At the wedding of Cana, the very first miracle that Jesus said, they ran out of wine. And he said, take the jars of clay. These were the water pots used for washing. They were not wine vessels. They were water pots. They were, they were the bathtubs. So they were clay pots. And he said, fill them up with water. And he told the servants to do that. And then he said, what does he have now? He has clay pots and he has ordinary water. Right? Clay pots and ordinary water. And he said, dip it out. And when he reached in and he dipped it out, took it to them, the master of the service, and he poured it in. What was it? The best wine ever. And that's what he's doing in your life. He's taking your ordinary, crappy life. I just had to say it because no other word was strong enough for it, was it? Your ordinary life, and he's taking it. And when he puts his spirit in you, when he takes what's in heaven and he puts it on earth, he turns the contents of your life with his sealed deed. When he, the deed is done, it is finished. When the finished work is put in your life, you have been turned in, in the interior of your life, has been turned into the finest wine. Yeah, and it was a miracle because you can't make wine that fast. And you certainly can't make good wine that fast. And so, see, we have the sealed deed here. And that's what we're supposed to know. The sealed deed, it had writing on the front and the back because there was instructions. You couldn't open it unless you met the qualifications. That's what the seals and the writing on the outside were about. Open if you are without sin. See, that's what John was looking for. But when Jesus took it, he is the one worthy of it. He meets every qualification. He's not only God of God. He is man of man, and he is sinless, and he is spotless, and he has paid for the redemption of this world. And now Satan may be subleasing right now. He's subleasing. But he does not, is not the owner of the dwelling. And there's coming a day where the sublease, the lease is going to be up. And that's going to be the day when Jesus takes the lease of the earth, the whole earth. And he's going to take hold of that. And he is going to begin the process and finishing the seventh week, the 70th week of Daniel, the last seven years. And he is going to begin by evicting the God of this world. But it's not going to be. When you, get, when you get right now, where's heaven? Where's, where's Satan? Mm-hmm. But where's, he, where's his domain? What does the scripture say? No? Y'all know. The prince of the power of the air. He is the one who, you wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of wickedness in high places. 
But Jesus is seated above all authority, and you're seated in him. But where do you still live? On earth. So there's a bit of a conflict for you, isn't there? That's the conflict you live in. But it's a one. See, he comes against you, but when you know who you are in Christ, you're like, what? Are you talking to me? Yeah. Are, are, did you just say? Right. See, that's what so many of you, the lies are so convincing, and you don't just go... Do you know who's worthy to open the seal? You tell that joker who you serve, and one day you'll start believing it. You'll actually start believing it, and, and um, deliverance will be just like pop, popping off a seal. It'll be just like turning water to wine. Just that You'll just be like, what? I, uh, I didn't have any idea who I was or how I was or where I was or what I was or when I was. I just had no idea that I am the, that the redeemed of the Lord say so. It's time the church took a little say so. You know, that's what my kids said. Mama, why do I have to do that? Because I said so. That's all I say. Why? Because I said so. What was I saying? I'm final authority here. When Jesus said, all authority on heaven and earth belongs to me, go therefore and make disciples. Of, he's saying, I'm, gonna give, I'm bequeathing to you my say-so. And you operate within the authority of this word and under my authority in my kingdom, you can have my say-so. Isn't that good? Now, you're going to run into a devil every now and then. I mean, you're going to have to fight a few fights. Did you not think you weren't going to have to fight a few fights? You're going to have to fight. It's going to be tough. In this world, you will have what? tribulation that's right and you know what he might come back again and just keep on until you actually believe it you're more powerful when you believe something than when you don't and there's a lot of times I've said things I didn't really believe even if it's things I know I should believe how many you know I'm talking about I am victorious in Jesus name I just keep on saying it. I'm victorious in Jesus' name. <laughs> Pull the covers over your head. I'm victorious in Jesus' name. Right? So I have to say, I am victorious in Jesus' name. I may not feel what victory feels, but I'm sure going to act what victory acts. I'm going to put my clothes on. I'm going to put my shoes on. And I'm going to get up. And I'm going to go and face the problems. And I'm going to believe he's going to be there. So we have, we have this. We have the seal. He's worthy. He's fixing to start opening the seal. It's a legal document. It's written inside and out. It has seven seals. And the person who opens it has, the, has to have the legal right to begin the finality of this age. And he does. And when he, takes that, when he pops that first seal, he's starting the end of the end. And this, is, this whole thing is a drama. And it's going to be chronicle. I told you all last week, some of it's chronological. We know it's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. That's seven. That's chronological. But then sometimes it pauses, and then there's things that are not chronological any longer, but they are, they are they're, uh, it's called parenthetical. They are descriptive. They're there to tell you what's going on within the chronological. I got to quit drinking before I come to church. It's chronological. So some is parenthetical, some of it's chronological. So then chapter 6, that's kind of where the whole thing starts shifting, right? Because we know who's worthy. 
We know why he's worthy. We know what domain he's worthy in. But then when he actually takes the scroll and the time has come and he then takes off. Wonder what's going to happen when I do it. Nothing because it's not real. Yeah. And then he ta- I know it won't do anything because but I'm going to just do it for a dramatization sake because I did all this stuff, you know. Ugh. And he takes off the first seal. And when he takes it off the first, then things happen. See, now we're moving into the judgment of this earth, the closure of this age. And what are we ultimately doing? We are bringing out the Antichrist for destruction. And so what happens there is the white horse begins to ride. And that is what we know He, the white horse, he is a conqueror with no arrows. Read it. He goes out with a bow, but it doesn't mention arrows. He has a crown, but it's not a diadem. It's a Stefano. A Stefano is a temporary crown. It's a laurel wreath. Now, many people have taught that this is the, see, and I'm teaching from, my, I, have to, I can't teach all of them, but if you come from a tradition, you may have heard, I've heard that's Jesus riding the white horse. Well, it just doesn't make logical sense to me that Jesus opens the seal and then he rides the horse. You see what I mean? Like, is he opening the seal or is he riding, is he opening a seal about himself? You know what I mean? He's the one initiating the drama. How is he the... And so it just, that just, for me, it doesn't make logical sense. But many people will say this is people, they're called, they're called preterists or partial preterists. They are people who believe that some of Revelation, partial, or all of Revelation has already been fulfilled in history past. And they believe that, and so it, it, they have to do some, and if you're all millennial, you don't believe there'll actually be a millennial reign of Christ? You have to be a preterist or a partial preterist up to a point. I just don't believe that it fits the narrative. I feel like you have to go. I feel like it's okay if I go and I squint really, 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 really tight and I look at it. But when I open my eyes and see it, that image fades away. You see, and so that's why I come to you with this. But study that on your own and know it and, and, and come to those conclusions for yourself, not just because I tell you something. So the white horse, this is what I would call the rise of the Antichrist. He begins conquering. Now, how will he conquer if he conquers with a bow but no arrows? What do you all think? Yeah, you can. The pen is mightier than the sword he can fight with covenants with agreements see a bow we understand it's the same bow that the same word the same word that's used when when um, God put a bow in the sky so if he has a bow now, this is supposed to be an, a weapon of war, but we're supposed to get, see, it's, 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 this is literary understanding. And so you're supposed to get that these two are symbols and they mesh together to form a picture. And so what we're seeing is someone going out making agreements with people. Making agreements. And so he's rising as a conqueror, but he's not conquering using force. He's conquering using diplomacy diplomacy. 
and he's getting this one on that side. And he's using, the Bible says in Daniel, he's a man of intrigue. He's a person of great, I mean, this guy is going to be a smooth talker. He's going to be good looking. I, I mean, you know what I mean? He's going to be a charmer. And so here we have this, and, he's, and the whole world's going, wow. And he's even going to sign a covenant with Israel. A peace, finally. We're all going to be like, Israel's having peace, but y'all are not because you're going to be like, I remember when I took that class. And you're going to be like, your antennas are going to go up. You know what I mean? <laughs> and you're going to be like, mm, I got a bad feeling about this dude. Right, yeah. And so, and then after that, it says a red horse, this, the second seal. He goes, he pops off another seal, you know, and then there's the red horse that begins to ride and wars begin because whenever nations, if me and Ray make a covenant of peace, now in, in you like me, but you don't really like Ray, you're another nation. You got a beef with Ray and now, but we were friends. What is that going to maybe do with you? You're not, you either have a choice, right? You have a choice, or you you decide you got strength. And some people will decide they got strength to fight it. But see what's going to happen, right? And you're going to all of a sudden start feeling yourself. You know what I mean? But I'll you take him, and I'm going to go. That's what's going to happen. And then he's going to have friends, and you're going to go. How dare you do that? This is called, this is what, this is, this is how World War One and World War, this, y'all see it. And so the, you're going to go, and you're going to flex, and you're going to crow. You know what I mean? And I'm going to go, don't mess with me, man. And he's going to say, don't mess with him. And there, you know, we're, I'm going to have my coalition. But you're going to think you can. But see, what's happened with me is I've been ordained of God for this day. And I'm evil. So when you start, maybe you're like, maybe you got the USA on you. Maybe you're red, white, and blue. And you think, I'm going to get out my Tomahawk missiles and my drones. And you're like, I'm fixing to take you down, you no good for nothing. And I've got my coalition. But what else do I have? And you're going to be going, God, where are your people? But who, ah, very good. <clears throat> but who's going to be the one who's got, who's ordained for this moment? See, don't, don't get it. This is hard. I know. God will use even evil to his purposes. And what he will do is he will use this to judge that. He is, but I'm just reading. We're gonna, you're gonna find out though. We're gonna get into this deeper. He's gonna have, he's gonna have opponents. Daniel is gonna tell us he's gonna have opponents. Let's go to Daniel real quick. We have time, barely. I'm just gonna read this in Daniel. See, this is where it starts getting down to the real meat of it, and it gets really kind of tricky. But if we don't read Daniel, see, this is all in the Bible. This is not just in Andrea's imagination. I've got a lot in there, but. This is in the Daniel 11. Why can't I find things when I want to? Okay, Daniel 11. Want to read this, and we're going to close right here because I want to talk to you. 
we might have to spend a little time on the Antichrist. Daniel 11, is that 11? I can't even see. Oh, thank y'all. Y'all are so smart. Okay, I'm going to go to 39, 11:39. Long chapter. This is a great chapter. We'll unpack it a little more in, in next some sessions somewhere down the road perhaps. Okay, 39, moving, moving along. Then the king, then the king, the Antichrist, will do exactly as he pleases. He, this is, see, this is in this time. Of the, this is where we're at in the time. See, Daniel's talking about when we're popping this. This is in the time of the end, when he starts rising. Here we are. We're, we're putting these two together. Then the king, the Antichrist, will do exactly as, he's, as he pleases. He will exalt himself and magnify himself above every god. And he will speak astounding and disgusting things against the God of gods. He is going to blaspheme God in ways you can't even imagine. And who's allowing it? Oh, this is so good. And will speak astounding and disgusting things against the God of gods, and he will prosper until the indignation is finished. For that which is determined by God will be done. And he will have no regard for gods of his fathers or the desire of women, nor will he have regard for any other god, and he shall magnify himself above all of them. The popular belief is that the Antichrist will be a homosexual. That does not teach that. That's when you listen through. What's, what's happened there is you've taken Western ears, and you've tried to incorporate in Western ears. The desire of women is a phrase used for Jesus. When it says he will have no regard for the desire of women, it is a term for Jesus, for the for this Messiah. Not Jesus, not in this day it wasn't Jesus because they didn't know who he was yet. It's a term for the Messiah. You're like, well, how do you get that? Because in Genesis 3.15, it said there was going to come a seed from the woman and her seed would crush the seed of the serpent. See, we're fixing, this is Genesis 3.15. The whole thing is ending right there. It's going to. And so he became known as a desire for women because after the fall of man, what did every woman desire? What, if, if there's coming one from a woman who's going to crush all evil, what did every woman desire to be? A mother of that child. Lord, use my body to be the mother of that deliverer. That's why women are saved through childbirth. And so whenever the angel came to Mary, what did he say? You are blessed above all women. See, the desire of women had come. So that's how this all fits. If you understand the Hebrew understanding from Genesis all the way through, you don't miss these things and go, oh, he's going to be a homosexual. It says it right there. It didn't say that at all. It said that he is, Jesus is the desire of all women. And so that's why when the angel says, Hi, you, Mary, what does he say? Mary, you are highly favored above all women. She became the one who was the womb that all the other women had desired. She, see, when it says he has no regard for the desire of all women, it says he has no regard for God. 
And he has no regard for God's Messiah, the conqueror. And he has no regard for any God. He only has regard for himself. And this is the man who will rise. And anybody who tries, the wars will start. And anybody who tries to stop him will be just about defeated. There are a couple of exceptions, and we will get to those. One is Edom and one is Moab. And the reason for that is because Israel will be taken into the wilderness, which is in the land of Edom and Moab. Okay, we're gone.